This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The Tribeca Film Festival is recognized as one of the most important events of its kind in the world, but the CEO of Tribeca Enterprises, Andrew Essex, believes there is more that can be profiled. In fact, Tribeca is getting ready to host its first ever TV festival, which will include showings of brand new TV shows to air on a variety of platforms. And for Andrew, his background in advertising as the CEO of of ad agency Droga 5 led him to look back at his former industry and write the recently released book, The End of Advertising, Why It Had to Die and the Creative Resurrection to Come. And it's a great pleasure to have Andrew Essex joining us on the show right now. Andrew, welcome. Thanks very much for having me. I thank you. First, the TV festival I, I thought was such an interesting idea. And, and this, I guess, from reading more about it, is kind of the building of a variety of ideas you would like to do with Tribeca. Yeah, absolutely. The festival is really about storytelling, and film is core, but film is not the only thing we do. And for years, we've focused on other platforms in which people can tell a story, TV, most obviously, virtual reality, gaming, music, but we never carved anything out specifically except VR. It's the golden age of television. It seemed high time in an era when there are 495 scripted shows alone. And obviously, with the variety of platforms uh, you have out there today, uh, the, the you mentioned in part the content, the amount of content were there, but the numerous platforms and the ability of of uh, productions to go to a variety of platforms just makes it that much more easier for TV shows these days. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And there's even a question of what TV is, especially when you show it in a movie theater. So we had the the Emmys the other night, Hulu, Netflix. Our big winners, platforms that we would initially call television, are now making films. It's all really a semantic stew. The main thing is that it's good, and we want to focus on the good and bring an audience to that kind of storytelling. So do you think we're going to see even greater changes, at, at playing off the question you just asked, what TV is in the next 20 years? Absolutely. Obviously, we're all holding these devices on our hands, so people are finding new ways to tell stories, vertical video on Snapchat, for example. I think the main thing is... Talent is going to win, originality, and just the ability to know what's inherently interesting. I would imagine also, I mean, part of that that potentially makes the, the idea of doing a TV festival or a gaming festival, music festival, all successful is, is the brand itself. And as I mentioned at the top, Tribeca has become very well known in the film community. But that brand alone probably brings uh, an extra layer of credence to it right off the bat. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we have a unique origin story. Unlike Sundance, for instance, this wasn't set up as an incubator for independent filmmakers. It was response to 9-11. Yeah. The neighborhood of Tribeca obviously hit hard, and the people here weren't firemen or first responders. They were storytellers, and the whole premise of our event is that storytelling brings people together. So in, in doing these different ideas, how many events do you think you can do per year now? Well, I think more than one. Let's put it that way. There is a limit, but... The calendar offers other opportunities. So TV is a perfect example. Our, our big event is in the end of April. Our television event is now at the end of September. And you'll see us carve out things like VR, gaming, and take it to other cities around the world. Oh, really? So you would expand it outside of New York? 100%. Tribeca's already been to Beijing, yeah. Doha, and it's been to Bentonville, Arkansas. 
Uh, a part of the the film festival, I think, as you mentioned, uh, it it was in response to what happened with nine eleven. But the growth of the boroughs within New York City has probably helped it as well, because it, for many years, people considered New York to be Manhattan and the four other boroughs. It's not that way anymore. No, absolutely. In fact, you could argue the bulk of the creative energy is in Brooklyn right now, and we'll do events over the river oh, any day of the week. We're joined by Andrew Essex, who is the CEO of Tribeca Enterprises. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Uh, the book, uh, The End of Advertising, uh, in, in going through it a little bit and reading some of the reviews on it, uh, really it's being reviewed as kind of a challenge to the advertising industry, which you spent quite a bit of time uh, being involved in. Yeah, that's true. I'm not really saying that it's the end of advertising. I'm saying it's the end of bad, irrelevant advertising, which right. just happens to be the bulk of most advertising. And it's a function of a variety of different factors. First and foremost, the rise of over-the-top television, on-demand television that enables people to avoid commercials. So there's one theft of a canvas. Then the a simultaneous rise of ad blocking technology, which enables people to block something they don't want to see. So you, you've seen a scenario in which a lot of the places where people used to put their messages being disappeared. And that forces brands to produce more creative work, work that adds value to people's lives, rather than arbitrary interruption, which infuriates people. So how do you think the ad blocker is going to impact us going forward? Because seem, seemingly most people on their computer now have, have an ad blocker of some kind. Yeah. I think it's, it's one of the most significant changes in the, in the history of the business and has huge repercussions. Back in the day, uh, the advertising industry was terrified of the remote control and then terrified of the VCR, then terrified of TiVo. But this is a revolutionary new technology that allows consumers, civilians, to self-select and express their displeasure through free, downloadable plugins. So what happens when the people revolt? I don't think there's any way to put the genie back in the bottle. So as I said before, it forces the brands who are still spending tremendous amounts of money just to be more creative. And that's a good thing for the planet. What do you think it means, though, as well for the legacy TV networks, the ABC, CBS's and NBC's and Fox's of the world and, and how they are probably going to have to shift? I mean, to a degree, they already are with the variety of different uh, content platforms that they are trying to build out these days. CBS now trying to go to Australia to to uh, to uh, purchase a network down there as well. Yeah, that's a great question. I think you're going, you're going to see a lot of experimentation and people challenging incumbent models. You mentioned Fox. They are now pushing six-second commercials during NFL games, yeah. which I think is very smart. It's probably five seconds too many. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, you're, you're going to see a tension between, uh, again, status quo and innovation, which is a good thing. Many people will hold on for dear life because that way of life was quite lucrative, and others will force force their companies to innovate. And we'll find out in about five years who wins. With my background in sports business, it's surprising to me, to a degree, that it has taken this long for a lot of these networks to understand the concept of, uh, of giving the consumer their sport while at the same time being able to deliver a message. And, and the fact that, you know, side by side with sports on one side and, and the ad message on the other, the fact that it's taken this long, it surprised me. Yeah, I, I mean, sports are really an anomaly. And, and, and dramatic television or, or sitcoms, you can see people downloading and happily enjoying it without interruption. But sports are designed to be interrupted, so they really do accommodate commercials very well. It's just that there's a whole new generation that's never seen commercials, so they find it completely jarring. And the current model is not sustainable.
What do you think then, I mentioned TV, but let's switch this over to the film industry and the impact that, that these types of technologies and changes will have on film going forward. Well, I mean, we've heard for years about attention spans changing. Yeah. I think you'll, you'll see a lot of films doing well because they get people out of the house. Right. The, the real change has been the rise of these platforms that allow people to, to consume any content they want any time they want. So if you can watch anything on Netflix or iTunes, what gets you to the theater? We saw Hollywood having a very, very bad, bad summer, a very bad year until it came out. And one of the theses is, is that horror is best experienced in a group. It's fun to go somewhere and hear people scream. Right. So what gets you out of the house? Events, eventizing films, something that seems to have a power to convene. I think that's going to influence the future of what we used to know as Hollywood. And, and you still do have a few kind of legacy franchises in the film industry that will draw people out. Star Wars is going to have another film coming out th this holiday season. Obviously, we've seen how well the superhero genre has done over the last decades as well. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Those feel like event films. That they, they have a sense of FOMO. You don't want to miss the next Star Wars and see it with lots of people and line up and maybe even dress like a geek. But <laughs> if it's just a sort of mid-list uh, rom-com, maybe you just want to watch it in your living room. We've obviously also seen a rise of, uh, of the streaming service, uh, obviously with, uh, with companies like Netflix and even some of the other companies doing uh, their own, like CBS trying to do their own streaming service for, for their content. Uh, it's a unique dynamic that... Uh, some people have been able to do very well with CBS and, and some of the others are still trying to figure it out. It, it, is it as delicate a formula as it seems to be successful in doing that? Yeah, I think that the, it's, it creates all kinds of interesting implications and you have to think about it as an individual. What content do you want? Do you want just the stuff that's running on HBO? Do you want a mix of sports? Do you want news? You'll see the rise of these so-called skinny bundles, new packages that are tailored to your specific needs. And I think that's a good thing. We've all experienced this phenomena of having 1,500 cable stations with nothing on. These more narrow, curated packages just seem like the future of streaming. Uh, a part of that obviously probably goes to uh, the the influence of millennials uh, on our society the last decade or so. So then I, I guess the question is that next generation after millennials, uh, how much impact will they have? I, I mean, seemingly, if we're talking about change now and change in the future, we're going to see continue kind of almost cyclical change within media and film and and uh, and a variety of different platforms. Yeah, absolutely. I think you can cite the influence of YouTube in this conversation. All these stars that would have been turned down by network executives in the past, there used to be a, a more, uh, let's just say, less democratic gatekeeping system. And now anything that seems authentic and relevant to young people can achieve an audience fairly quickly. So I think it's just more and more fragmentation, less and less Big Ten events, and and people who can figure out how to monetize a smaller but more engaged audience. But part of it is also it isn't because we have so many different platforms that that these outlets can take a gamble on something probably more easily than when we were really basically with the four core networks and yeah. and some of the cable industry that we had. Right. Again, and that's a good thing is when there's more opportunity, there's more appetite for risk and experimentation. 
and that's why you see these strange outliers suddenly becoming major players. But will it change the the standards to a degree that we have lived with? 100%. With, with television in the near future? Yeah, absolutely. Again, yeah. going back to YouTube, you see a different kind of production value. You see just more uh, user-generated work, less heavy production. Anyone can make a music video in their basement now. Yeah. That used to be a half, half a million dollars as early as five years ago. But that's also going to uh, seemingly change our culture as well in terms of what we think is acceptable or what, we, you know, what, we've, what we're concerned about seemingly is a lot less than what it was, say, 20 years ago. I'm going to push back on that and okay. say that at the end of the day, what's interesting and interesting ways to tell it is going to be what matters. So you've got this peak content. There's no shortage of stuff to watch, but what's good is going to win. It doesn't necessarily have to be expensive or, or super high quality or worthy. It just has to be good. And that's probably a, 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 an excellent outcome for humanity. Andrew Essex is the CEO of Tribeca Enterprises. He joins us here on the show. Uh, your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. So then thinking about your, your prior world that you were working in, what does all of this mean for the advertising agency as well? Well, it means that they, too, have to be more creative. We used to have this bizarre model in which you'd watch a show and then every few minutes there'd be these arbitrary interruptions from messages from brands that you didn't ask to see. And that model just doesn't make sense anymore. People look down at their phones. They don't want to see things they didn't ask to see. So brands have to be the thing, not the thing that interrupts the thing. So you see brilliant examples like the Lego movie, which is a film that made a lot of money, but also probably the world's greatest ad. It's going to require brands to produce work that is essentially content rather than something that's secondary, which is essentially advertising. So you think we will see companies with entities crossing over into the media realm? I mean, Lego being one, one perfect example of it, but other companies will look to try and do this. Yes, and paradoxically, this is not a new idea. This was the big idea in the 1950s or so when you had GE Theater or Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Programming brought to you by a brand or from a brand rather than programming interrupted by a brand. So that's interesting you you make that that point because that would lead you to believe that we are in that kind of cyclical nature yep. 50 60 years whatever that time frame may be but the idea comes back around just maybe in a little bit of a different iteration. That's exactly right and a lot of this is because we have new platforms and people are finding new ways to monetize it but when radio or TV were new brand new and crazy frightening technology that no one understood. There was a lot of experimentation. And I think, regrettably, we made the wrong decision. We took the path that has proven to be unpopular with human beings. And now we're reverting back to a model that is probably better for humanity. And, and so I guess to a degree that filters back into what you're currently doing with Tribeca. It probably filters into the art world, into all kinds of different media right now. Yeah, exactly. Better to be useful, better to be appreciated than to be loathed. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Andrew Essex, CEO of Tribeca Enterprises, joining us on the show. And, and that loathing is seemingly the great concern that is out there right now, and it's part of why probably the ad blocker uh, has become as successful as it has in the last uh, several years. Uh, the loathing part of it, I guess, is is the trap that probably every person, executive, is worried about on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Advertising is such a strange industry. Think about it. It's 
it's it's loved one day a year, that's Super Bowl Sunday, and then hated for 364 days a year. How can that be? How can that be sustainable? So uh, it, it is, again, forcing executives to think, in an age of peak content, how do I get seen? I had probably better try harder and make something that people want. It's it's it is loved one day a year, but I, I get the sense even at times, even on that one day, it's loathed to a degree. <laughs> especially especially if you're not delivering the right message. That's true. That's true. That's again another great paradox of Madison Avenue. There's so much at stake on Super Bowl Sunday, so much attention. God help the entity that delivers something that is um, underwhelming. What do you see then as the impact? Because uh, you mentioned you're going to be doing a gaming festival uh, with Tribeca. The rise of esports and and gaming has starting to take over. And I've seen a couple articles recently that have suggested that, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, maybe even in a shorter period of time, we're going to see esports to a degree overtaking some of the traditional sporting entities that we have here in the United States. Yeah, it's just another phenomenon that is irrefutable. You see it in consumer behavior. So these games have incredible stories. They are fun for people to participate in. They're very popular with young people. There are huge businesses forming all around the industry, and it's only going to get bigger. Is it surprising to you, though, that we've got to the, gotten to the point where we are now filling stadiums with people watching people playing video games? I would not have bet the farm on that, but in retrospect, it makes makes tons of sense. But I wouldn't have thought that people would watch HBO shows on their phones, and it, it seems that they are. Andrew Essex, who is the CEO of Tribeca Enterprises, joining us. Your comments at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, and we can bring it up on the show, at BizRadio111, B-I-Z Radio 111. Or you can use my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Andrew's book, by the way, The End of Advertising, Why It Had to Die and and the Creative Resurrection to Come, is out in bookstores right now. You're more than welcome to pick it up. Uh, It is a very entertaining read. So, this creative resurrection uh, with the uh, with the ad industry. What do you see as the as the most important elements that 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 the industry needs to consider as they're moving forward? Just that there's a person at the other end of the pipe. I'm astonished by how much human beings have to wade through today. There are only 12 hours in the day, but there's so much more to contend with. As I mentioned before, 490-plus scripted television shows alone, tons of games, as we said, tons of platforms, tons of social media. You had better not annoy people or you'll be immediately discarded. So business, business has always been in conflict with creativity. Now creativity is a business imperative, and I'm very excited about that. Is social media part of that creativity, or could it eventually end up being a crutch which can hurt the the creativity? I think it's part of the creativity. So I just see it as another canvas, another space on which a painter can paint. And like any platform, what you do with it is contingent on your, your motives. People can pollute social media just like they can pollute television airways or billboards or subway stations. What we want is people to produce work that other people want to see and share and talk about rather than discard immediately. Yet there is a reliance on social media by a lot of the the advertising entities out there, maybe even going beyond where they probably should. 
Well, of course, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And right. many people misuse the platform. But again, I've seen many brands misuse television in a big way. 844-942-7866 is the number to join in. Your comments are welcome. Uh, David is in Long Beach, California. David, go ahead, sir. Um, Andrew, interesting conversation. One thing I never hear addressed is this opening up of media. Is it going to finally end the installation of American culture? Most of our media is domestic. We have very little from overseas that reaches the masses. Do you think this is going to finally change that? Oh, yeah. I think YouTube is a great example where at least 75% of the content is produced from overseas, and that has democratized different points of view in a big way, different sensibilities, different colors, different, different flavors. And um, I, I just don't think that that is limited in any way, perhaps to its detriment. David, thank you very much for the comment. 844-942-7866 if you'd like to uh, join in. So then you see this becoming uh, the, the the advertising reach and, and the reach of some of these media outlets, and, and to a degree it already is with places uh, companies like Netflix and, and Hulu and HBO, but it's going to become even more global than what we, uh, what we have already today. Absolutely. These, these barriers are meaningless in an age where platforms transcend them. Andrew, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Greatly appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. All the best. Uh, Andrew Essex, who is the CEO of Tribeca Enterprises, uh, the host of the Tribeca Film Festival. And as we mentioned, they're doing their TV festival uh, coming up in uh, in just a little while. And also the book is The End of Advertising, Why It Had to Die and The Creative Resurrection to Come. Great book. It's a very entertaining book uh, that looks at the advertising industry. And again, we want to make sure that we thank our friends at Orange Genius. This is part of the collaboration between Knowledge of Wharton and Orange Genius on the business of art. Great to have uh, Andrew joining us here on the show. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 